double bless you double bless you sam yes i i <laughs> i love that um uh, if we all of us were as fortunate to live to the age of 77 so it, it's truly a blessing we're in ezekiel chapter uh, 33 we're, we're getting close i know a lot of you are you know just biting the teeth hoping that we get to the, you know, certain chapters very, very quickly, but there's, there's a lot of prep. You know, the book of Ezekiel is very, very big and, and on purpose because all these chapters that we've been looking at, all the chapters on Edom and Egypt and all the different Jordan nations and the nations that surround Israel, Ammon and Aab, Moab and Philistia, all these other nations that surround Israel, they're going to be important later on when we get to chapter 38 and 39. Chapter 33, verse 1, it starts out like this. Once again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give your people this message. When I bring an army against a country, the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it is their own fault if they die. They heard the alarm but ignored it, so the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. He is responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths. And now, son of man, I'm making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some of the wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself. Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. You are saying our sins are heavy upon us. We are wasting away. How can we survive? As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn. Turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? And so, Father, this evening as we approach your holy word, and I, I just thank you so much for the, the time of preparation, Lord, when we can not only worship you but examine ourselves, Lord, and help us to uh, that, cultivate that relationship with you that so many times we make, we choose to make one-sided just us talking to you. And so, Lord, help us to listen tonight, as Ezekiel has to do, as he has to receive the message before he delivers it, not just one time, but multiple times throughout his ministry, Lord. And so, Lord, um, as you speak to us tonight, help us to be receptive. Help us to truly apply what we learn tonight. 
that it would be something that is transformative and, and restorative and, and one of those things that speaks to us in a new and fresh way tonight, Lord, from your word, from the book of Ezekiel. And so, Lord, I thank you for these, my friends and my family gathered here tonight, those that are online. I ask that you bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, amen. And amen. And you're probably, you know, as you read this uh, chapter, and if you've been with us or read the book of Ezekiel before, and, and you say, oh, I've heard that before. Guess what? You're not wrong. You have heard this before. In fact, all the way back in chapter 3, we saw this same exact message, this same exact explanation, this same exact calling for Ezekiel to be a watchman. All the way back when he was 30 years old, just starting his ministry to the exiles in uh, Babylon. And remember him being a priest, 900 miles away from a temple. He is a priest without a uh, temple, a place to work, a place to serve uh, the Lord. And God has given them his, this ministry some 900 miles away from Jerusalem, all the way in Babylon. And again, he calls Ezekiel. In fact, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17, it says this, Son of man, I have appointed you a, a watchman for Israel. Whenever you receive a message from me, warn the people immediately. Why does God repeat himself in the Bible? You all know the answer. We need it. What else? We forget. Exactly. <laughs> all of us forget, right? And by the way, this is 12 years later. He's now 42 years old. Can you imagine this ministry of, of um, you know, and it's going to continue on. But for 12 years, he's had to deal with people that do not want to listen to him. That are hard-hearted and stiff-necked. These are people that have turned away from God, the chosen people, and they don't want to listen to him anymore. Just like, you know, we do at times. That's why silence is so important. In fact, in the next part of the message, verse 12, continuing on, it says, Son of man, give your people this message. The righteous behavior of righteous people will not save them if they turn to sin. Nor will the wicked behavior of wicked people destroy them if they repent and turn from their uh, sins. D does God not only see the things that we do, but the choices that we make? And just like Ezekiel being called to be a watchman, there was a, a job that the watchman had. We see it in very, very uh, good uh, detail. What was the purpose of the watchman? We, we hashed this out many, many times when we first started out the book of Ezekiel. What's the job of a watchman? To watch. That's what the job of the watchman is. And then when they see an enemy coming or danger coming, what are they supposed to do? warn. They're supposed to watch and they're to warn. 
The responsibility of the watchman isn't to change the hearts of the people or tell them what to do. It's to warn them and watch for danger. And the people, it's their turn to respond, whether they stay or whether they flee. In fact, in verse 13, it says, When I tell righteous people that they will live, but then they sin, expecting their past righteousness to save them, then none of their righteous acts will be remembered. I will destroy them for their sins. Isn't that a scary verse? Wow. Uh, well, we live in a time of grace. Uh, I, I, I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? We, we, we're in the dispensation of grace, right? What, what is this saying? It goes back to the previous part, back in verse 10. It says, Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. You are saying our sins are heavy upon us. We are wasting away. How can we survive the weight of their sin and all the righteousness that anyone can do will never save us from the weight of our sins how many of us have ever tried to undo the past mistakes that we have the consequences of previous sin those things that were done in a moment and last a lifetime the consequences do you understand if you are not in christ that the consequences of those sins will last forever not not just here in this life but forever but the good news is if we're in christ what will happen to those temporary consequences when we die Will we have to endure the consequences of those things that we have done in this life if we are in Christ? No. Will I have to deal with the consequences of my sin in heaven? No. And thank God. Thank God. It says there in verse 14, And suppose I, I tell some wicked people that they shall surely die. But then they turn from their sin and they do what is just and right. For instance, they might give back a debtor's security or return what they have stolen and obey my life-giving laws, no longer doing what is evil. If they do this, then they will surely live and not die. None of their past sins will be brought up again, for they have done what is just and right, and they will surely live the message is going forth from the mouth of Ezekiel, and it is the response of the people hearing it is up to them to make the choice. I don't know if you have any family or friends that are unsaved. And thank God that, you know, uh, we can be persistent and we can pray and we can come before the very throne room of a holy and righteous God and we can give all the advice we can ever give. But who is the one that has to make the decision and the choice? It's them. I can't pray for them to be saved. None of us can. 
I, I can't make a, a child or a friend of mine somehow make that choice. They have to choose to make the choice to know and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But what is our responsibility? To tell. To pray. To be there. To receive those calls. To give that advice. Verse 17. Your people are saying the Lord isn't doing what is right. But it is they who are not doing what is right. How prideful is that? How, how obstinate is that? Uh, how, how in our very being telling what God should do. Or giving advice to uh, God. One of the most humble men in the Bible, all the way back in the book of Job, tried to do that. And what did God say? Where were you when I created the stars? Where were you when I created everything? Where were you? Is God already omniscient? He knows all things. Is God omnipotent? He's all-powerful. And that's why silence is so important. Because he has a lot better things to tell us than we have to tell him. Can you imagine that? And this is exactly what the Israelites were trying to do. They were saying to God, oh, you're not doing it right, God. And by the way, that's common in our society. It's common in our modern times. It's common all the way around the world. God, you should have done it this way. Or if I was God, I would have done it this way, right? We, we love to tell God what to uh, do. Verse 18, for again I say when righteous people turn from their righteous behavior and turn to evil, they will die. But if wicked people turn from their wickedness and do what is just and right, they will live. O people of Israel, you are saying... The Lord isn't doing what is right. But I judge each of you according to your deeds. Now, of course, this is the Old Testament. This is uh, before uh, Jesus Christ came to uh, this earth. We understand that we live in an age of grace. But if we don't obey God, what are we telling him? I know better. Have you ever had that little silent voice that we love to tune out at times? And instead of listening to the Holy Spirit, we, we drown him out with all the noise around us. We can't bear the silence. But if we actually listen to the Holy Spirit, if we listen to that still small voice within us, if we obey that still small voice, the Holy Spirit himself, Jesus Christ, our communion with God the Father, did you know that there's untold blessings? Do you understand that if you go and tell another person about Jesus Christ, that you will be blessed? That there is a blessing in that. But what if God tells you to do something, tells you to go and, and tell, I, I want you to tell this person at work or this family member or this friend that, that you have, I, I want you to tell them about me and, and you ignore the voice. 
Are you being the watchman? And, you know, thank God that God gives multiple opportunities. God sends multiple people. But if you're not the one who goes, who's missing out on the blessing? You are. I am. Someone else is going to get the blessing for telling them. Someone else is going to get that, you know, a reward in heaven for bringing someone to Jesus Christ. You see, we call this the Great Commission. We call this evangelism, right? Where I go and I tell someone else about Jesus Christ, we understand that being a watchman in this day and age is going forth, right? First of all, to those around us, and then further and further and further away, however God calls us. We all have different spheres of influence. But if we're ignoring the voice of God... Am I receiving the blessings for those that God has called me to come to? You see, there's an amazing verse in Luke chapter 15, verse 10. You've heard this before. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. All of heaven rejoices over one conversion. Wow. When you were saved, did God transform your life? And don't we want that for another person? You see, for Ezekiel being the watchman some 2,500 years ago, it not only was for their, their spiritual revival, as we're going to see later on in the book of Ezekiel, but it was also for the understanding that they had to deal with a foreign nation as their lord over them. The Babylonians had them in captivity. And for 70 years, they are literally cast out of their homeland. Thank God that we have the privilege of freeing people from captivity too. It's from sin, right? You see, there's lots of things that evangelism does. I was just thinking about this today. Uh, there's five points just to kind of, um, uh, if you want to write these down. Evangelism helps keep the gospel central in our life. When I'm being a watchman, when I'm being evangelist, when I, I'm, I'm warning other people, and thank God that we have the privilege of being able to warn other people even today, what happens to my heart? Does it, you know, prevent me from falling into sin myself if I'm busy evangelizing? Does it keep the gospel in my own heart to evangelize other people? Or number two, evangelism deepens our understanding of the most fundamental truths of Scripture. The very basics. If I'm telling other people about Jesus Christ, what am I having to be able to explain myself? The very basics of the Scripture. The very basics of the gospel. My own testimony. The, the privilege of telling someone else about Jesus Christ. 
You see, that's exactly what Ezekiel had to do. Did he have a, a, a new vision every single day? No, he had to explain the same vision over and over and over. He was called multiple times, reminded multiple times, this is the message that I want you to give to them. It's the centrality of the gospel. Number three, it properly motivated evangelism grows our love for our neighbor. Oh, wow. You may not like the person that God tells you to go and tell his love to. But what will happen to your heart toward that person if you obey? Will your heart change? Will, will, will you praying for that person change your own heart in love for the person that God has told you to tell about him? Oh, yeah. Our own heart can be changed, right? That annoying neighbor or that annoying friend or that annoying person, whoever it is. If God is calling you to pray for them, you have the opportunity to have your own heart changed. Number four, evangelism prompts unexpected questions and objections from non-Christians, which can deepen our faith. This is also scary too, by the way. I, I don't want to evangelize because I'm afraid that they might ask me a question that's, that's too hard for me to answer, right? Can you imagine the questions that Ezekiel had to go through? And then at the very end of those questions to have his own wife die. And finally the people ask the question, what does this mean? This horrific event that takes place in his heart. And he understands that finally God is showing the people the dearly beloved temple that is going to be destroyed. And they're going to ask the question, what does all this mean? You see, for us, we too have to answer questions or be asked questions that are many times hard for us to answer. But do you know what it does? When I, when I point someone to Jesus Christ, it goes back to the very basics. Can you tell your testimony? Were you there when you were saved? Yes, of course you were, hopefully. Right? And can you share your own testimony? And can anyone refute that? No. No one can. Because it's yours. It's how you, yourself, were saved. The simple message of the gospel transforming someone's life. I love hearing um, testimonies. And just a couple of weeks ago, Dominic gave his testimony for the man. And uh, it's one of those things, uh, uh, the way that, that God changes lives. It's absolutely beautiful. Verse 5, or number 5, the last one. And I, I'm sure there's many others. But evangelism increases the likelihood of being persecuted for the gospel. 
And you may be thinking, how is that good? Because it leads to our growth. And there's a reward for evangelism. See, the consequences, the, the short-term consequences of, of maybe a, a little bit of, of ridicule or, or shunning here in this life will reap eternal benefits that last forever and ever and ever. And it will shame Satan. You see, Ezekiel understood that. He understood that there was eternal consequences for what he was telling the people. It was his job to warn. It was his job to watch for danger. It was his, his job to tell the people. And it was God's job to change their hearts. In fact, that's exactly what it says in verse 21. They've now been 12 years in Babylon, verse 21. On January the 8th, during the 12th year of our captivity, a survivor from Jerusalem came to me saying, the city has fallen. The previous evening, the Lord had taken hold of me and given me back my voice. So I was able to speak when this man arrived the next morning, and you remember all the way back in the first chapter, we remember that Ezekiel's voice had been controlled by God so that when he was given a vision, he was allowed to speak, and the rest of the time he was silent. He wasn't allowed to speak. He had to either lay on his left side or, or his, his right side. He had to, had to build the, 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 literally the, the model of the city of Jerusalem, the temple itself, all the various parts with his pots and his pans and his various utensils that he would use to build this model of Jerusalem in order to be the news for the people 900 miles away. The visions that he received were what was happening 900 miles away. Now this survivor comes delivering this horrific news. What has happened to Jerusalem? That beautiful city on the hill, the city of peace, the city of God, the temple itself, what has now happened to it? It's been destroyed. And this message came to me from the Lord, son of man, the scattered remnants of Israel living among the ruined cities keep saying, Abraham was only one man, yet he gained possession of the entire land. We are many. Surely the land has been given to us as a possession. Even back then they had health, wealth, and prosperity. Even back then they thought, oh, God will somehow miraculously save us. He'll go back on the 70 years in a foreign land like what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah was just crazy. You understand what it's saying here? That they wanted to go back to the land and not suffer the consequences of their sin. Verse 25, it tells us that. So tell these people, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You eat meat with blood in it. You worship idols. You murder the innocent. Do you really think the land should be yours? 
You commit sin flagrantly. You commit sin boldly. And do you think I should somehow reward you for it? But, but we, we talk to you or we pray to you or we go to church or we do all these things. Can God reward sin ever? No. He will not. In fact, he blatantly tells them what they are. Verse 26. Murderers. Idolaters. Adulterers. Should the land belong to you? And again, thank God for grace. Thank God for repentance. In fact, this is what it's all leading up to. At the end of the chapter, what is God telling them to do? Repent. That's what you have to do. Repent. If you've done all these horrific sins and you repent, will I forgive you of those sins? Yes, that was what the whole first part of the chapter was all about. If you repent, I will forgive you. But if you wallow in your sin, will there be any reward for that? No. You can claim being a son of Abraham all you want or, or a Christian all you want, but if you're living in sin, will there be a reward for that? No. Verse 27, say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Surely as I live, those living in the ruins will die by the sword. I will send wild animals to eat those living in the open fields. Those hiding in the forts and the caves will die of disease. I will completely destroy the land, demolish her pride. Her arrogant power will come to an end. The mountains of Israel will be so desolate that no one will even, tra even travel uh, through them. And of course, you remember when we were in Jeremiah, this is exactly the same prophecies that Jeremiah told the people and, and experienced for himself too, by the way, where he actually had to see the land desolate, devoid of life. God is warning them. Verse 29, when I've completely destroyed the land because of their detestable sin, then they will know that I am the Lord. Do, do you remember the verse that we read earlier? Does God take pleasure in the death of wicked people? No. Is God just some mean guy in the sky in the Old Testament just giving all these horrific prophecies just because he wants to? No. He has had grace upon the nation of Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years. They should have been destroyed before they even got to the promised land. Right? God graciously brought them in and gave them people and prophets and kings to build them up. And it was them that rejected God, not the other way around. It was the Israelites that rejected God, not God rejecting Israel. They chose to rebel against him. They chose to harden their heart. They chose to have stiff necks and not turn around back to God. It was their choices that is causing this. 
just like in our lives. Verse 30, Son of man, your people talk about you in their houses, whisper about you at the doors. They say to each other, come on, let's go hear the prophet. Tell us what the Lord is saying. Do you understand the, the satire behind this? The, you know, the, the facetiousness in their voices, the, 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 you know, this, this planning to go and listen to the prophet Ezekiel and maybe we'll be entertained. The crazy guy that lays on his side, cuts his head with a sword, all these things that he does, eating bread over dung. Maybe he'll do something interesting today and we can go smirk about it. That crazy Christian holy roller, Jesus freak, all the, the names that people say, Verse 31, so my people come pretending to be sincere and sit before you. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. Only, by, by the way, only, Ezekiel doesn't know this. Only God knows their heart. God knows the people's heart. I, I don't know why you came today. I, 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 I'm, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt you didn't come to smirk at me. I know that positively, okay? You're not going to go home and make fun of me, okay? Thank God, I, I'm among friends, okay? But do you understand what Ezekiel is learning from the mouth of God? These people are actually talking behind your back, and I still want you to tell them. Because what would any of us have done? There's no way I'm going to be nice to them. There's no way I'm going to take time to prepare. There's no way I'm going to do that for them. Why would I ever do that wonderful thing for them? Why would I? All they're going to do is make fun of me behind my back. God is telling him on purpose. In fact, this is what he says. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you're saying. Their mouths are full of lustful words and their hearts Seek only after money. You are very entertaining to them. They like someone who, who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays a fine music on an instrument. They hear what you say, but they don't act on it. By the way, do you know what it's saying about Ezekiel in these verses? Yeah, he had a, he had a good voice, right? They, they, they came for the entertainment factor, the, the visions that he would give, the things that he would act out before them. But they didn't take him seriously. But when all these terrible things happen to them, as they certainly will, then they will know a prophet has been among them. Oh, wow, there's power behind prophecy. There's power when the prophet preaches. There's power when the prophet delivers the word of God. If it's truly from God, there's power behind the words. It is not just some entertainment. Chapter 34 and this message came to me from the Lord, Son of Man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the Sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you, shepherds, who feed yourselves instead of your flocks. Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? Duh. 
What, what, what are they doing instead? Instead of feeding their sheep, they're fleecing their flock. They're taking advantage of the flock. I, I know all of you have seen, you know, the various, you know, shepherds, whether it's on the I-5 or up in Tatsupi or, or going up the 99. There, there's several places where you can see them and, and they always put up a temporary fence. And those sheep are there on purpose. How did they get there? Did they just show up? Who had to take them there? The shepherd. Not only do they eat the, you know, the grass or the weeds or, or the various things, and thank God for, you know, a sheep, it's a natural way of, of not only, uh, uh, you know, getting rid of the, the weeds and the grass, but it also is a, a fire prevention as well. That's what, I mean, that's what they are, they're hired to do. So it's not just the weeds. What else does the shepherd have to bring? Now, normally, and, you know, this time and age, they, they would take them to a, a river, right? In, in our day and age, you, you'll see these big, huge tanks, right? They, they bring the water with them, too. Because, of course, you know, it being Bakersfield and Kern County, you know, it's, it's hard to find water, right? So they, they bring the water. They, they bring the, the tank of water, whether it's behind a, a, a truck or some sort of vehicle, and they bring the water with them. Not only do they have to provide the food, but they have to provide the water as well. Because the sheep won't be able to find it for themselves. You see, a good shepherd provides for his sheep. Unfortunately, the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, instead, they are killing their sheep, fleecing their flock. You drink the milk, you wear the wool, you butcher the best animals, but you let your flock starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. Is that a good shepherd? Is that a Psalms 23 shepherd or, or the Lord is my shepherd? No, none of those things are good. These are shepherds that are abusing their flocks. In fact, so much so in verse 5 it says, So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one will go, has gone to search for them. Of course, this is the Old Testament. We also see this in the New Testament. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, we see the description of leaders in the church. You, you know that there's a, a gift of shepherding, right? The word pastor, the, the very foundation of that word, the, the basic meaning of that word means to shepherd. Chapter 5 of 1 Peter, Peter understanding this, having to not only establish churches, but be a leader himself. He writes this, the elders who are among you, I exhort, 
I who am a fellow elder, he understanding this from personal experience and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. What is the job of an elder, a leader in the church? What are they supposed to be doing? And thank God we, we do. I mean, they, they do do. The elders do do that in our church, okay? And, and thank God we are, we are blessed with people like Ron and Larry and our pastors that not only care for the congregation, care for the church, but shepherd it diligently. What does it say there in the rest of that verse? Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. All the way back in Ezekiel, reminding them that they were doing it just for profits. Taking advantage of the sheep, taking advantage of what these animals were doing. Scattering them literally, only keeping the best of the best, and then slaughtering the best of the best. For their own personal uh, gain. First Peter chapter 5 verse 3 it says. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. But being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears. He will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. All of us, we all have spheres of influence. We're all shepherds in certain areas of our life. Does God reward your deeds in his name? The chief shepherd who is over all uh, the leaders of the church. We all answer to him. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 7, going back to the Old Testament, we read the rest of this chapter, and it says, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, you abandoned my flock, left them to be attacked by wild animals, and though you were my shepherds, you didn't search for my sheep when they were lost. You took care of yourselves and left the sheep to starve. This is the exact opposite of the New Testament, right? What, what, what is one of the most amazing parables in the Scripture? The parable of the hundred sheep, right? And one of those sheep was lost. What did the good shepherd do? This is why it's so important to understand this, going all the way back to Ezekiel, not only the scriptures themselves explaining themselves, but now coming to a, a new and greater understanding of this amazing passage all the way back in the book of Ezekiel. And then being reminded in the New Testament of that one sheep that was lost. What does a good shepherd always do? They go and find the good, the, that last sheep, that one sheep. They go out through the wilderness fighting off the lions and the bears and they search for that one little lamb that has wandered off. You and I. Did the shepherds in Ezekiel's time do that? They didn't care. They weren't going to risk their own life. They weren't going to go out and look for the one uh, sheep 
They were just in it for the prophet. Verse 9, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I now consider these shepherds my enemies. And I will hold them responsible for what has happened to my flock. I will take away their right to feed the flock. I will stop them from feeding themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. The sheep will no longer be their prey. Oh, the severity of the consequences of the leadership. Because not only is there a, a greater reward for a leader in uh, spiritual things, a leader in the church, but is there a greater punishment as well? And just like Ezekiel being a watchman, if he did not warn them, there was a consequence for him. And the same thing is for leaders in the church too. We don't just come to get our ears tickled. We come to be brought to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. To be convicted. To have our lives changed. Verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. Again. Where does this refer to? Who's the one that's going to go and find the lost sheep? And Jesus is going to come. He's going to be the good shepherd. He's going to go to the sheep of Israel. The flock of Israel. And he's going to be the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. I'm sure it reminded the Israelites going all the way back to the book of Ezekiel. It might remind you too, by the way, now that you've heard it. Verse 12, I will be like a shepherd looking for a scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day, I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and the nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. Why is the book of Ezekiel so long? Because the prep takes time. This is now looking forward to chapter 40 to, through 48. This is looking forward to when the people of Israel will be brought back permanently to their homeland. And we know that they've been brought back multiple times, not only 70 years after these things that are written here, they're going to be brought back, but then also after they're scattered during the Roman Empire in 70 AD, scattered throughout the world, all the way coming back in May 14th, 1948 as well. But do you understand that the book of Ezekiel is going to describe something that is more permanent, something that is greater, a coming back from all the nations of the world back to Jerusalem itself. In an amazing way, it says there in verse 14, yes, I will give them good pasture land in the high hills of Israel. There they will lie down in pleasant places, feed in the lush pastures of the hills, I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord, who is now the shepherd of the sheep, the chief shepherd, 
God himself. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away. I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. But I will be, or excuse me, but I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, feed them justice. And as for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says to his people. I will judge between one animal of the flock and another, separating the sheep from the goats. Where have you heard that before? Wow. How many illustrations are from the book of Ezekiel that are repeated in the New Testament? Isn't that amazing? And of course, the people that were re receiving these parables, listening to Jesus in the New Testament, they probably had heard these multiple times from the book of Ezekiel. It's just us Gentiles or people that don't read the Old Testament. And, and thank God that you're here on a Wednesday night. You get to hear these things. All these things would have been clues to the people listening to Jesus Christ when he gave these parables. Don't be like the people all the way back in the time of Ezekiel when they were in captivity. Be a good shepherd of the sheep. The separating of the sheep and the goats, verse 18, isn't it enough for you to keep the best of the pastures for yourself? Must you also trample down the rest? Isn't it enough for you to drink the clear water for yourselves? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Why must my flock eat? What you have trampled down and drink water, you have fouled. How many of you ever been on a you know, pristine trail? You see this, this beautiful river and some animal or some you know, person gets into that water and just wallows around and makes the mud go everywhere. You want to drink, drink from that water? This goes worse than that, by the way. Because it's been fouled. That means they've gone to the bathroom in it. This isn't just mud that they've trampled, but also that they've actually fouled with their own feces. All, all the you know, bacteria that we know of today. And what would happen if you were to drink that water? You see, this is why there is a separation between the sheep and the goats. And of course, I know all of you know this going all the way to the book of Matthew chapter 25. I'm just going to read parts of it here. Oh, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate from them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. The exact same phrase that's used in Ezekiel, by the way. The separation of the sheep from the goats. And you guys remember the parable. The, the goats were on one side. The sheep were on the other. It goes on to say, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. And the king will say to those who are on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he lists all those things. You, you went to those that were in prison. You helped the, the weak. You helped those that were sick. All, all those things. And, and who was the one that they were actually helping? You guys remember? Verse 40, and the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, as I say, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. 
when you help other people in the name of Jesus Christ, who are you actually benefiting from? Jesus Christ. You're serving Jesus Christ by serving the least of uh, these. These were the sheep, and of course, the opposite was the uh, goats, verse 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Wow. Going all the way back to the book of Ezekiel, this reference to the separating of the sheep from the uh, goats. You can read the rest of that chapter, Matthew chapter 25, uh, for yourselves. Continuing on to the rest of this chapter in chapter 34 of Ezekiel. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will surely judge between the fat sheep and the scrawny sheep. So now going from uh, sheep and goats, now going to well-fed sheep and scrawny sheep. And of course, this is, is spiritual in nature. Those that had been just sitting there doing nothing, growing fat, and those that were scrawny, malnourished. For you fat sheep pushed. And budded and crowded my sick and hungry flock until you scattered them to distant lands. What did those big fat sheep do? They bullied the little sheep. They bullied the scrawny sheep. They chased them away from the good land. Verse 22, who will God rescue? I will rescue my flock and they will no longer be my hungry flock until you scattered them in, or excuse me and they will be no longer be abused. I will judge between one animal of the flock and another and I will set over them one shepherd my servant David he will feed them to be a shepherd to them. This is an important passage because yes all of Israel is chosen by God. Thank God God has chosen Israel as a nation but individually are they judged for the works that they do in the name of Jesus Christ? Are they judged individually? Not all of them will be saved. We, 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 we do that ourselves in America. Automatically, we're a Christian if we're in America, right? You're going to heaven if you're an American. It's even worse, by the way, because in our society, if you die, you go to heaven. Every funeral, it's about, yes, that person's going to heaven, right? But, but is that the standard that God has set? No, it's God that judges. It's God that judges between his uh, people and those that aren't. It says there in the rest of the verses, 25, I will make a covenant of peace with my people. Drive away the dangerous animals from the land. Then they will be able to camp safely in the wildest places. Sleep in the woods without fear. I will bless my people their homes around my holy hill. And in the proper season I will send the showers they need. There will be showers of blessing. Where have you heard that before? That's that great old hymn. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops around us are falling, but for the showers we plead. That comes from Ezekiel. Isn't that cool? 
verse 27, the orchards and the fields of my people uh, will yield bumper crops. Everyone will live in safety when I have broken their chains of slavery and rescued them from those who enslaved them. Then they will know that I am the Lord. That phrase that is used more times in the book of Ezekiel, we've already seen it a whole bunch of times. What is the purpose that God is doing this for? It's to always show them who he is. They will no longer be prey for other nations and wild animals will no longer devour them. They will live in safety and no one will frighten them. Verse 29, and I will make your land famous for its crops so my people will never again suffer from famines or the insults of foreign nations. Today, we see just a little glimpse of that in Israel. But as we're going to see later on in the chapter of chapter 40 to 48 in, in the book of Ezekiel, we're going to see that it's going to become a bumper crop. This will be the center of the world's agriculture. This will be the center of the world, Jerusalem and Israel itself. And in this way, you will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them. And they will know that they, the people of Israel, my people, says the sovereign Lord, you are my flock. The sheep of my pasture, you are my people, and I am your God. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Does the shepherd discipline the sheep to make them be healthy? Does he bring them to the proper places for water and for nourishment? Only a good shepherd does that. Psalm 95, we'll end it here. Verse 7, it says, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, you will hear his voice. Wow. How important is silence? Can I hear God if I'm noisy? Can I hear God if I'm surrounded by all the chaos of the world? How many times do we just need to sit silently? And we had the privilege of doing that earlier, and I hope you take the time to do it this week. I hope you take the time to do it tonight. And just to sit silently and listen to God. Because he has a lot better things to tell us than we have to tell him. Dear Father, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have. I thank you so much for your word, the, the, the way that your word speaks in, in, in such a, a piercing way, in a convicting way, in an encouraging way, in a, in a way that we understand that it brings us to a place where we are in need of you, the power of your word. So, Lord, there, there's so much that we've been reading. Lord, help us take the time uh, tonight or, or this week to be able to uh, meditate upon these things. Lord, I, I thank you so much for the importance of the book of Ezekiel and how, how it feeds into so much of the New Testament, so much of the parables of Jesus Christ, so much into the New Testament itself. And how the people that were living in the time of Jesus, they, they would have understood these truths going all the way back to the book of Ezekiel. And so, Lord, um, help us to learn. Teach us tonight. Help us to understand these things. Lord, I thank you so much for the leaders that we have in our church. 
or those that are, are the, the good shepherds of the flock that, that give of themselves for the congregation, for the sheep, that even sacrifice themselves for the sheep rather than the other way around. Lord, I thank you so much for what you are doing in this church. I ask that you would help us to pray for our leadership, Lord. And yes, we know that they are underneath the, the chief shepherd, but, but you have put them in key positions within our church and in, in, in their various roles. Then, Lord, I ask that you strengthen them and use them for your glory, Lord. And then us as a sheep, help us to not uh, bully one another or abuse one another, but help us to protect those that are weaker. Help us to be there for those that are weaker, Lord. Lord, I thank you for these, my friends, my family. I ask that you help us to grow in these things, these truths, and apply these things to your lives, that we, our lives, that we would, we would not be the same as when we entered this building tonight, Lord. Thank you for these, my friends, and I, my family. I ask you bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.